Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Strange and Beautiful Book Club episode, a movie episode, where we talk about the movie Love. Love. From 2011. And you're looking for the one with the picture of the astronaut on the cover. I know it's challenging because the title of the movie is Love. And even if you search for Love 2011, like four movies show up before this movie. Gotcha. But before we get started, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I think we've kind of fallen in love with the idea of doing a bunch of little tiny indie movies. Yeah. But I wanted to discuss the idea of indie movie. Is that a great way of... We've discussed on other podcasts about how sometimes words become too full. They get loaded down yeah. with uh, preconceived connotations. They get baggage. They get baggage. And that's usually when they get changed. So instead of saying someone is homeless, they are unhoused. They are a person experiencing homelessness. Because when you put the word in the blender and shake it up a little bit, you can kind of distill out the original meaning and you can cut away the chat. You can look at it with eyes unclouded by bias. Bias, yeah. And I feel like maybe indie movie isn't the word that we need to use. So if we're going to focus on doing these kinds of movies, I don't want to call them indie movies. Because, yes, it implies they're just independent of a studio. But I feel like the term indie movie has um, preconceived connotations. It's like the word self-published. This book is self-published. Well, there's a lot of banging self-published books. Wool was self-published originally. The Martian was self-published originally. There's absolutely nothing that says that a self-published book is not as good as a book that has been picked up by a publisher. Sometimes better, because they're not trying to please a publisher. And the same thing applies to these kinds of movies. Sometimes these movies get to explore themes and ideas that a studio would never let them. Or they get to have pacing that a studio would never let them have. I kind of think of it as the difference between like a burger at Red Robin and yeah. a burger at like a food truck. Yes. The food truck is going to have more. Uh, uh, what was the. There was that podcast we listened to for a while about the like ancestral. Um, ancestral like skills. Oh yeah, and then he just stopped doing it, and then he just stopped doing it. Yeah, but he would talk a lot about uh, foraging for food. Yeah, and the plants that you find in the wild, he described them as having more vitality. Yes, that's yes, and that encompasses a whole lot of things, but just by virtue of like the requirements to survive in the wild in competition versus mass-produced crops. Yeah. The mass-produced crops don't have to fight as hard to stay alive, so they lose some things that aren't directly connected to that, but that end up flavoring the final item. Yes. I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. If I go to a Red Robin, I'm going to get a decent burger... It might even have a couple of interesting toppings that I've never had before, but it's going to be a Red Robin burger at the end of the day. But when I go to a food truck, all bets are off. Anything could be on there's this There's going to be burger. a lot more experimentation. And I'm expecting it. When and I walk up to a There's good, a chance that it's going to be crap. Yeah. Or there's a chance that it's going to be amazing and you're going to be thinking about it for years. Like this movie, for example. <laughs> So this movie 
There's actually the movie Love, which was produced, um, which was written and directed by the same guy. It was written and directed by William Eubank. And there's actually a little making of, like a 17 minute, that's what I mean by little. I said little in front of indie movie earlier. That's not what I meant. I meant a totally valid movie everybody should go watch. Um, But this is actually a little one. And it's 17 minutes long called The Making of a Low Budget Space Oddity. And it talks about all about how they made this movie. And I highly recommend you go watch it. It doesn't give away anything. I think you could watch it. It's spoiler free. But it does give you an appreciation for what they did to make this movie. But before we deviate too far from it, we need to come up with a word for indie indie movies. Not indie movies. Like, I feel the same way about the phrase indie movie and self-published as I do about the... Like, the the same reason we are never going to have a star rating on our podcast. Because... I could tell you this movie was nine out of 10 stars. What does that mean to you? Do you have the exact same taste as me? Do you know what those nine stars mean to me? No, you have absolutely no idea. I could hate sci-fi. If I hated sci-fi, this movie's going to get a three out of 10 stars. If I love sci-fi, I'm going to get, I'm going to give this a much higher rating. It it brought to mind, like right now the creator is out, like the creator just came out Mm -hmm. and I've, I'm, I don't know. I've fallen in with a bunch of film bros on Instagram. So I get to be privy to a lot of their like, Ooh, I'm, I'm out of the theater. Let me give you my star rating and talk about what I think about this movie. And it really runs the gamut and it's really interesting. It goes all the way from it's regurgitated, regurgitated, contrived bullshit to innovative, new, change the face of the genre. I always find it interesting, notable, notable, mm-hmm. when a movie gets such... Variability. Variability. Usually we all kind of run the middle of the road. Oh, it was great, but the acting wasn't wasn't great. Or I didn't care so much about the acting, but the sets were fabulous. Whatever. You know, you kind of pick the thing you like and you go with it. But this was so different. I was like, why? Well, I just really wonder why. And I think it probably comes down to... Are you a sci-fi nerd or are you a fucking casual? Like, (laughs) which one are you? Yeah. If you probably, if you are the type of person that consumes a lot of sci-fi, it feels regurgitated and contrived. Like somebody put all the best sci-fi plots into a blender, shit one out and made a movie out of it. I haven't seen it, full disclosure. But that's my expectation is like, oh, I've seen this a million times before. Or maybe it's maybe it's the other way around, that if you don't like introspective, more like philosophical plots and concepts, you think, uh, that's I don't like movies. A lot of people don't like movies that make them think. There were no laser beams. There were no people. Sorry. Maybe not movies that make you think. Movies that Require thought. If you think about it, you get a lot more out of the movie. Right. Rather than just sitting and consuming it. Cor- correct. Like a Red Robin burger versus a... Yes. A food truck burger. And so while you were talking about the variability on people liking it, I was thinking about how rating systems on pretty much every platform have migrated from like a star system even stars with different categories Mm -hmm. and it condensed when you get a large enough user base you just do like dislike yeah and then the there's a whole like pattern of the way you do things in software called a recommendation engine and a recommendation engine does a whole bunch of statistics on the entire library of things and the entire user base and who's liked and disliked things. And rather than distilling it down to a star rating that's universally applicable, you end up making these clusters of associations between users and the content that they have liked and then, like, go one layer out. What have, you know, f- people who have liked 50% of the same content that you have liked 
have also liked other things that you haven't. Yeah. And that's kind of the first layer of content to recommend to you. And so it's... More selecting for similar taste. It's more selecting for similar tastes. So then people who like this kind of movie, and that's why when you sign up for a new uh, like streaming service or whatever, the first thing they ask you to do is, hey, pick some things out. You mean the part where I go, fuck you, and I pick the minimum and then move on to the next one? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that one. Okay. Uh, That's (laughs) that's like the seed for your... the recommendation engine to start feeding you things. Gotcha. And that's a more, you know, nuanced way to do it rather than just, you know, 60% of our user base has liked this movie or has given this movie five stars. Gotcha. You would like it too. No, probably not. Yeah. And I love how it came out that Rotten Tomatoes literally can be paid, like, or will pay for certain reviewers to give certain, like, review scores. And yet they're still being used as like, oh, this movie is really great and everybody loves it, but why does it have such a low Rotten tomato score? Well, maybe they just didn't pay enough. Oops. Anyway, this is the problem with percentages and these sort of arbitrary star things is, you don't know. I mean, I guess it's a good, it's not. I don't know, because I've had some movies that I really liked, and I went to look at them and they were like trashed. This was shit. Yeah. Like, I liked the new Firestarter. It was all right. I was okay with the old one, and I really liked the new one. And I've heard a lot of people are like, oh, shit. I'm like, okay, but I mean, that's your, just like your opinion, man. Like, <laughs> it's fine. You get to like whatever you like. But anyway, the point of this is we did a cool little movie, and I think we should call them TFA films. TFA. The fucking audacity. <laughs> <laughs> Because it reminds yeah. me of that. We watched uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary about the Dune that didn't actually get made. And the part where he pulls the money out of his pocket and he's like, what, I'm going to make a movie for this? These fucking pieces of paper? This is what I'm going to make a movie for? And he like throws the... <laughs> I spit upon your paper. <laughs> I do this for the love of the art. I mean, yeah, you should be able to make a movie and make money off of it and love the art all at the same time. But when you separate movie from art, what you get is just a commodity to to be consumed. Right. So we're going to talk about this movie, which is Love. And as I mentioned, it was directed and written by writer or director. <laughs> it was directed and written by William Eubank. And it was funded in entirety by the alternative rock band Angels and Airwaves. And I'm really glad we watched the little behind the scene thing. Yeah, that gave a lot more context. It gives a lot more context for what actually happens in the movie. Because what happens mostly is we watch Gunnar Wright flex some major fucking acting muscles and be the only character in this movie. I wonder if he had to get like a massage afterwards from carrying (laughs) the entire weight of the narrative because he's he's the only narrative character. Yeah, there's a couple other ones. Oh, I was going to look up a quote because like there's some of these, the quotes are banging too. There's these little vignettes with just kind of slice of life um, reminiscent of the little interviews in... Ken Burns. Yeah. Um, the interviews reminiscent of like Ken Burns documentaries where he's going through the whole story and then you'll just cut to like, here's a clip of an interview with a person who went through it and you just kind of get their kind of natural. Yeah. yeah they're speech. one-on-one interview where they just talk through something. So this movie has that kind of thing. You're going through the narrative of this astronaut stuck isolated on the international space station and you cut every once in a while to a person, you know, walking down the street with their skateboard and then they're kind of waxing philosophical for a little bit. And then you cut back to the space station. And so the, the making of film kind of gives some context that they started out with a plan to make these little vignettes to go along with the album. I love how they found William Eubank by like a friend of a friend of a guy who knew this dude who worked at, was he say Panasonic? <laughs> and he made little, little, um, like advertising clips. 
just experimental advertising clips and they watch one and they were like, yeah, that guy, that fucking guy. I like his vibes. I like his vibes. Okay, he passes the vibe check. Let's do this. And so they made all those tiny little vignettes. They stitched them together and they were like, mm, it's okay. But it's like, it's not amazing. It's all right. You know, maybe we want like a story though. And so they kind of wrote a script and then they had spent all of their money on renting this set. It cost them $50,000 for five days to rent this set. A space station set. A space station set. And they were like, well, shit, we don't have that kind of money. I mean, the whole movie cost $500,000 and they shot it over the course of four years. So they must have just spent money as they had it. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, William Eubank was like, well, I could, I mean, I could build that set. I could. My, my parents got a big yard. Yeah, my parents got a big yard. I could probably do that. So this entire set for this movie is in his parents' backyard. And he like and a ranch. designed and did it like modular so they could move it around to kind of create different feels for the for the space station. That whole section resonated very strongly with me. I know. I was I'm like, sitting in a room that I built. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking this is what happens when a child with ADHD isn't beaten down to the point where they think that the part of themselves that is absolutely feral is something that they have to hide. Yeah. The part where they're like, well, I can build a fucking film set. Of course I can. Uh, he had never used like a drill before he started Yeah, this. I think you, you were going through trivia and yeah. he said he'd never used a nail gun yeah. before he built that set. And then he was like, yeah, I can do that. And sure. then he framed out. He went to this whole Home space Depot station and built this shit. Yeah. There's a scene where he's walking down or he's like crawling down this corridor. And if you don't think about it too hard, it's a cool little space corridor. And then you realize the top is that like corrugated plastic roofing. And the sides are just those plastic shelves with slats in them that you put tubes in between to make like really cheap shelving. But he lined them all up. And what it ends up looking like is ventilation. Yes. Well, okay. Fucking amazing. And then there's all these scenes where he's laying against this window, which of course is a dry a washer door. <laughs> yes, a washing machine door. door. Yeah, with a with a plasma screen, screen TV, TV on, on the, the other side. Yeah. Oh and there's another scene. It's like a mind blowing scene where the like the door is opening and you you realize that the the main character, Captain Lee Miller, is about to head out into space and you just see his Visor. You see the reflection of the earth in his visor. Yeah, as the door open, like you see the door open in his visor, and as it pans, as the door moves past, the the earth is revealed, and it's just a trash can lid moving over the same plasma screen TV that they were putting <laughs> outside the door. But it looks amazing. And then they showed the behind of the buttons because he has like a control panel button thing that he sits at, and it's just Christmas lights all shoved into these little clear plastic squares the ingenuity that went into building the set probably the most obvious one is that the back walls all box fans stacked on top of each yeah. other but like cool with really bright lights behind it which actually i think when we watched it the first time you were like those are just box fans and i was like they're what and you're like they're just box fans and i was like oh yeah they're just fans i mean i was just in it i wasn't i wasn't looking for what the right. set was made of i was just in the moment with this movie because it's a brilliant movie we start with this guy captain lee miller he's returned to the iss the year i think is 2039 when we start and yeah. we haven't been in space for 20 years so this is the first time we've been in space for 20 years he's coming to reopen the iss uh, they get around the problem of orbit decay by they figured out a way to orbit further out. They just hand wave some problems away. Yeah, this is and fine. And that's and fine. fine. Yeah. 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 And he, we have a couple like he's doing regular stuff. He's exercising. There's gravity. Don't fucking worry about it. Um, it doesn't matter. It's not part of the plot. Who gives a shit? And then we're interspersing this with images of like a Civil War guy. The Civil War guy has like a... I think we start with the Civil War guy. We do guy. start with the Civil War guy. And he has some banging lines. Like he starts with, they say when you hear sounds of devils, all else is quiet. My general question to that is, how do you know that what you are hearing is the work of such devious beings? I would venture to say that most devilish noises occur when large numbers of men decide to force the hand of mortality upon one another. And I'd say further that on such occasions... There's not just one sound, but many. 
It is a quiet orchestra of death. It is also possible that the man who wrote that saying might have just had some broke ears. <laughs> and there's another part where he's like, why do we fight so hard for a more righteous breath when we're all going to end up in the same place anyway? But this Civil War so soldier, who's a Union soldier, is making his way out of the battle because he's been in all of these regiments that are all wiped out and he keeps surviving. So the leader of his regiment is like, listen, I heard that this thing had been spotted out beyond the Colorado Basin. I want you to go find it. Our lucky man. You leave. And he's like, wow, to be given a pass when all others are doomed is like a heavy thing. And he ends up getting to leave. And we get all these cool images of like the Civil War soldiers fighting. And then we get his cool journey. And they they got some pretty epic shots of him standing on like the side of cliffs and there's another one where he's down in a valley on a horse and that's not a real horse it's a prop horse <laughs> they couldn't afford a real horse <laughs> they, go, they couldn't afford the real horse <laughs> so some there's a, a guy behind it just swishing the tail nice. and i think the soldier moved the head yeah it works i didn't notice you didn't notice i didn't notice no yeah. exactly and we finally get to the point where he looks over the ridge at the thing and then it stops we cut to Captain Lee Miller. And they said they wanted this to have a storyline, and it kind of does and kind of doesn't. It's sort of a story, but it's also sort of just an exploration of the importance of human connection. And what can happen to a person when they don't have that. Yeah, and how something as simple as just hearing another human's voice is so vital to us as people in how we like to think we can be lonely and independent, but at the end of the day, we can't. And what happens is something mysterious. We don't know. We have no idea. We don't ever find out. Something mysterious happens on the planet. And at first, it's just radio silence. And then he gets a recorded message that's like, listen, we don't know when we're going to be able to get you. Um... I'm sorry, I wish I could explain what's happening, but it's too much, um, you know, Godspeed. Right, you're going to have to sit tight for a little while. Yeah, and then that's it, and he can't get through to anybody. And then we see, like, explosions going off on the Earth's surface, and then everything goes dark. Yep. And then he ends up spending six years on the space station by himself, slowly going a little bit nuts. And yeah, so one, he stops wearing his uniform. He yeah. stops shaving. He uses the he uses the treadmill as a sled. Like he drives the yeah. treadmill. <laughs> and then he ends up having to go reroute some power. So he crawls down this cool tunnel with this ring of light at the end, which is again just Christmas lights. But yeah, it looks it's so cool. Flashing it, all the different colors. It's very 2001 a space odyssey. Part There are definitely parts of this that are very 2001 A Space Odyssey, and this is one of them. And when he pulls the thing away and he sticks the camera in there, what he finds is blocking everything is a journal. And this is the journal of the Civil War soldier. And so this is how we loop back, loop the two stories together, is we don't ever explain how the journal got there or if it's real or what's going on. Right. And he ends up reading the journal. And eventually he gets it, like, he tattoos it on himself. Like, he... This is his one human connection. Yeah, we jump man. forward in time again, and he's got this long, shaggy beard. Yeah. And he's got just tattoos. Well, that's all over after his he, he kind of decides that he's going to be done. Like, oh, that's it's right. failing. Um, over time, the box fans on the back wall stop working. And it's a really cool way of showing like everything's breaking down because it's been so long and it was already an aging space station and he could only do so much. And. He decides, you know what, I'm just going to, I'd rather rest at home. I'd rather rest on the earth. And so he gets dressed in his spacesuit, which is like a pair of combat boots over this orange <laughs> jumpsuit. I love it. And then he floats out, which thank God he had a carabiner. I was like, is there anything carabiners can't do? <laughs> but he can't bring himself to do it. He can't bring himself to, to do it. And so he pulls himself back in and then a slightly more time passes. And in the end... This is a bit of a spoiler alert, but I feel like we should talk about it because we're going to do the rest of William Eubanks' movies. He's got two other movies, two other TFA movies that we're going to do, um, one of which is slightly less TFA. It's TFA leaning into actual studio movie. 
and that's underwater. But aliens show up. Aliens? Question mark? A thing. An archive arrives because Earth is barren. It's a destroyed civilization. He's the last one left. And someone needed to record the lasting memories of the human race. Or as the Civil War soldier says, I no longer care about individual distinction. I just hope we have a history worth remembering. And then we find out that what the Civil War soldier saw was this archive crashed on Or at least a piece of it. Or at least a piece of it. And so this is when Captain Lee Miller moves over to the to the spaceship. The uh I don't know. Post apocalyptic bureaucratic building. <laughs> I was like, what a fucking letdown. You go on a spaceship and it's a bunch of abandoned office buildings from the eighties. The shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably driven by the fact that the filming crew probably just broke into abandoned buildings in LA. And they the fucking audacity, and they absolutely should have. Please and yeah. thank you. It's brilliant. I think at the end they there's a voiceover from another character, um, maybe the archive, and it says, We apologize for this simulation, but it's our only way of being able to reach you. Yeah. So it's kind of like they took these memories from him and they created this because he's walking yeah, very around contact esque. Yeah, he gets to the one room and there's a there's a picture on the wall and at first it's just a like an image of a spaceship taking off and then we switch to looking at his visor view and in the visor reflected we see a video which is probably the plasma screen TV of <laughs> the the spaceship taking off and then when he turns to look away it's an astronaut floating in space by himself which is kind of a cool effect. And then we get him just sitting in places, standing in a tunnel, sitting in a bus stop. Like the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. A little bit like the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And this was filmed over four years, and apparently they took poor Gunner out and made him do this multiple times. Like yeah, Just on the streets. Just had him, stand, yeah. had him stand in his astronaut costume just on the streets. And he was like, honestly, I didn't know how this was all going to get put together. <laughs> That must be weird as an actor to not know the shape of the final movie. Just like, okay, now go stand over there. Okay, now go stand over there. I right, now like jump up and down a little bit. Great, perfect. This is exactly what I needed. Thanks. Moving on to the next scene. Like, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you storyboard this for me? Yeah. Again, this is exactly what I imagine it would be like working with someone with like ADHD who was never like never had had the the audacity ground out of them. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Um, Okay, now over here. Okay, now over here. Okay, now I need you to go down and get this thing and get that thing. And I'm going to be over here. I'm going to be doing this. And like, I'm going to remove this panel. And we're going to film this scene. Then I'm going to put it back up and then we're going to go do that scene. And then he probably had two or three people that were like, No, we, you told us you were going to get this scene filmed today. And he's like, No, no, I'm on it. We're doing this one right now. I'm hyper focused on this scene. This is what we're going to do right now. Um, and it, it, it plays, it pans out. It's perfect. And then at the end, we get kind of a, it kind of unravels in terms of, coherency after he steps into the spaceship which is fine I, you're not in this movie because you want to understand the whole thing you're not looking for the big payoff ending you're looking for something beautiful that made you think about something and you had a wonderful experience doing right it. it's it's lots of it's lots of thought inspiring scenes yeah that kind of go together yeah kind of go together and it's you have to approach these movies with the right mindset. Right. right. So we get so we're pre-programmed to want a burger to taste like a Red Robin burger. So if you go to a food truck and you expect to buy a Red Robin burger, you're, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. If you go because you are here for the experience. You're on an adventure. You're on a fucking adventure. Then you're not going to come away disappointed. Because you're going to have an adventure. And that's what you have in this movie, is an audacious adventure where an alternative rock band funded their own. They even scored the movie. Right. It was originally the album was going to be the score. But as the movie kind of got refined and became more like narratively coherent, they thought, 
this is way better than we were expecting this to be. Um, we need to like take a step back and treat this as its own thing. Any music that we make for this movie needs to support the movie. Yeah. Not just be a reference for the band. Right. And so they sc- scrapped the album soundtrack and they just scored it like you would a movie. Yeah. And it works really well. It really does. And they didn't have the score when they made the movie. They made the movie and then they scored it. Yeah. So William Eubank is like, well, just, that turned out really cool. I had no idea they were going to do that. It turned out really nice. It, I can't imagine the movie with a different score. Right. The kind of instrumental, alternative rock flavored, pensive sci-fi themes. <laughs> it really works. It works. It really works. It's not a combination. You're not thinking, okay, well, this... I tried listening to some of their music, and it's exactly what you would expect. It's very alternative rock. It's great. I The kids weren't enjoying it, so I had to turn it. But I would like to go back and listen to... They made an album also titled Love. Okay. It's not necessarily the film score, but they intended them to go together. They were both released on 11-11-11, which is cute. And so there's a the movie and the... The album, and I intended to listen to the album, but of course, I am at the mercy of my tiny people that are with me all the yeah. time, so I didn't get to do that. But I listened to some of it, and yes, it's exactly what you, whatever you're thinking, that's it. And they themselves are also independent. So Angels right. and Airwaves does not have a studio; they are all self, self-published, self-made, yeah. self-made. They are collaboratively audacious i don't know how you that. <laughs> i just I, I know it sounds silly re like rebranding it but it's one of those things where i think that's the step forward is us to stop thinking about movies as there's these movies and then there's indie movies and more like there's movies that studios produce which are okay and then there's movies that are made by people that just fucking love movies and love the idea of movies and are so passionate about it they want to make their own movie i mean we accept this in music where you have like your cool garage band that you go listen how about how about instead of indie film yeah sovereign studio (laughs) did you chat gtp it oh okay thesaurus.com okay i was gonna say i love using ai to rename it i'm pretty sure is um no illegal we can't do that you just can't trademark it oh that's true but i mean i'm pretty sure we just spent a lot of time striking about the fact that ai can't replace actual writers no just which is good can you imagine how commodified it would feel if ai was writing the scripts and creating the actors Ugh. Uh, it would be okay. So the thing that AI is really not good at yet is maintaining a coherent narrative. Yeah, yet. Right. It can it can throw all the right ingredients together and have the right words, kind of grammatically correct. But the next level up of orchestrating a novel narrative. Yeah. It's not there yet. Well, that's why we got to fight that now. Yeah. That's why that battle is now. And then Robin Williams' daughter came out because I guess AI, people have been using AI to reproduce her dad and create new Mm. like skits with her dad. And she was basically like, the fuck? He died. He cannot come back and consent or not consent. It is not okay to take his image and his voice and create something that he would never approve of. Yeah. I mean, this is not the podcast for the AI discussion. I'm pretty sure everybody probably knows where we fall because you cannot replace the hand of the artist and expect to have art. You cannot detach the product of passion from the passion and expect to have the same feel as a passion project. Right. You you lose it. You lose it. It's it's the difference between a coffee cup, like one of those white standard coffee cups, and a coffee cup made by a potter. And 
I was a potter for a long time, which is probably why I get passionate about being able to see the hand of the artist. But I would have people say like, well, why isn't this $4.99? I can go to Walmart and buy this for $4.99. You can even buy ones that kind of look like they were thrown on a wheel for $4.99 now. Yeah, the the like casting and molds. Yeah, like, okay, you can have that coffee cup. It was $4.99. I spent four years at school. I spent another 10 years as a potter. I spent time developing my glazes, developing my my style, developing the shape, developing how I like my handles to fit, figuring out the best way to attach handles, how to fire. I bring a wealth of warmth and human experience to this fucking coffee cup that cannot be replaced by a mass-produced mold. Plus, there's the memory of picking out this coffee cup, knowing that this coffee cup was created by someone. And there is no substitution for the sense of creation inherent in interacting with art that was created for the love of art. Yeah. That's why I think it would be fun for us to explore more of these movies because a lot of people are doing a lot of really cool shit. But again, where can they distribute these? We watched the making of video on Vimeo. Uh, we're going to we're going to watch a couple of other TFA films, and we're going to talk to the um, studio that created them this month, and they're on Vimeo. Oh, and sure, we found love on amazon but it was buried even specifically searching for this specific movie it was buried under at least three or four other titles that had love in the title and advertisements like amazon is now doing where they throw advertisements into your search results this is not okay it's like the fact that amazon very soon will control almost all of the book buying and selling and independent publishing that is not fucking okay. It is not okay. It is not far from them controlling the, the majority market share to them controlling what types of books get published, what types of books are allowed to be self-published, controlling the shape of the stories that we interact with, just like they sort of control the shape of the movies we interact with right now. I'm looking up independent publishers. Oh, okay. uh, like. Places to buy books. I mean, you can still buy from Barnes & Noble. If you can find a local bookstore, that's a good one. Thrift Books is not terrible because Thrift Books is mostly used books. There's a couple Abe Books also sells used books. I always opt for used because I hate new manufacturing. Um, because there's so many excess things in the world, we don't need to produce too many more of them. I did recently purchase an entire book series through the author, and it was delivered to me through a service called Book Funnel. Oh, which series was that? It was a series I bought from an, an author named Elizabeth Wheatley. Okay. And I got an ad from her that said, buy it from me now and you don't have to give Bezos any money. And I was like, say no more, fam. And I clicked on the link and it I purchased it through her, but it was emailed to me through BookFunnel. And then I was able to take those EPUB files and send them to my Kindle. So I was still able to read right. it on my Kindle. So it's out there. The problem is when you create these aggregate sites. So this is what Facebook did, right? Facebook was like, guys, listen, we're all on our own siloed sites. People have to look for you. They have to find you. It's a big chore. What a bother. Wouldn't it be nice if you all migrated to Facebook and we'll host your videos, we'll host your content, people can find you, you can advertise, it'll be great. So lots of places dropped their independent websites, dropped their independent streaming, migrated everything to Facebook, and then Facebook was Because like, the engagement was so much higher on Facebook, according right. to the metrics that Facebook provided. Right. And then Facebook was like, great, now pay us. Oh, you want to show up higher in the algorithm? Ooh, sorry. Yeah, and then, uh, who was it? College Humor, I think was yeah. one we saw an interview with. And they said they migrated everything from their College Humor website, 
where they were getting direct traffic to, to Facebook because the engagement numbers they were getting off of Facebook were like two to three times what their own website analytics was saying. Yeah. So they went, they migrated everything to Facebook and then they found out that Facebook was just making numbers up. Yeah. Those weren't actually their metrics. The entire motivation was to get college humor to migrate to Facebook so that the college humor viewers, their their fan base, their yeah. user base would also migrate to Facebook. Right. So that they could usurp college humor and get these people following other things also right. on Facebook. Right. I mean, the lure is it's safer under our umbrella. Come over and join us. It's dry over here. But the problem is when you put down your own umbrella and you go over, you're no longer the one holding the umbrella. You don't get to control it anymore. And so Amazon has become one really big umbrella and a lot of people are underneath of it. And the threat of closing the umbrella does what? Gets us where? Is, does Smashbook still exist? Yep. Let's see. Smash <laughs> Smash Words. Is it Smash Words now? Smash Words, the original aggregator. Uh, I think it sends it out to different places where you can purchase them. Yeah, they, they distribute to a bunch of places. Audible is Amazon. There's lots of other places where you can go. I have a friend who what she does is she pays to join other library. Like you can pay to join, get a card from any library. Yeah, there's usually like a membership fee if you're not a resident in that county or right. city. Right, so you could find a, your nearest big city, pay, I think it's like $45 or so, depending on the library, but ours I think is maybe 35 35 to 45 is the average. Pay 45 for the whole year and then have access to their entire catalog. On Overdrive slash Libby. Yeah, and then you can check out audiobooks, books, all kinds of different stuff. Let's see, Published Drive is another big one. Uh, Street Lib. Uh, let's see, who did I get? Let's see, Readsy is a marketplace for freelance publishing. I just bought some books. Uh, let's see if I can find where that came from. Humble Bundle. <laughs> I did buy, I bought the entire Malazan Book of the Fallen, like the main 10 books, and then like seven of the some of like a selection of the beginnings of the other like offshoot yeah. series for like $25 on Humble Bundle. Nice. And that's like a charity right uh, site, but uh that's that's an option. I mean an aggregate streaming service for smaller for smaller budget films like we'll call them TFA films. I feel like that's it's on brand. Story Grid. Yeah, for TFA films would be brilliant. Because, like, we found the dark. We stumbled on the dark. It's great. People should be watching those kinds of movies. But we, we had to stumble on it. We have to go back three or four search results to find it. Let's see. Story Grid doesn't have, like, an easy-to-find shop. But there's a guy I follow that just self-published a book. And he sent out a link on his Patreon. Yeah. Here's the Story Grid link for you to purchase the book directly. It's probably like book funnel. Yeah. And then I think you can buy audiobooks through Hoopla and I think you can buy them through Chirp. Chirp. So if you don't want to do I mean my problem with the audiobooks that you get on Audible is you don't actually own the files. Right. <laughs> and when purchasing isn't owning, what is it? So now that God, we just we, you know what? We should rename this the soapbox. Okay. Uh, follow up on that yeah. is if you don't own the files, then well, I was just going to leave purchasing it there. as owning. Well, I don't, where my brain goes from there is what happens when you own the files, but you can't get them on your devices. Right. So there are uh, free open source like friendly ebook readers where in the event that Kindle locks down the like personal document library thing 
where you can just email yourself EPUBs yeah. or PDFs. A while back, there was a project called... I don't remember the name of the project right now, um, but they made a... I'll put it in the an, show notes. Like an alternative firmware for uh, Kindle eBooks and Duocon. It's called Duocon. I don't know if they have kept it up to date for the later models, but like when my old Kindle, it had like a bunch of games and stuff on it. Yeah, like they used to. I get distracted easily. <laughs> I did not. I found myself playing games on my ebook reader when I bought the ebook reader to constrain Read myself yeah. to just reading books. So I found this Duocon project and I flashed Duocon onto my Kindle. And Duocon didn't integrate with like the Amazon Kindle Whisper Sync, whatever. You just hooked it up and it worked like a flash drive. You just dropped your files in, your yeah. book files in. And you could do, uh, it supported more ebook formats. It supported EPUBs before Amazon Kindle supported EPUBs. Yeah. But then it supported a whole bunch of other ones. You could put, I think, audio files on there, um, but it didn't have any games. Yeah, they don't have games anymore. They don't anyway. have games anymore. Anyway. Yeah. So. That's why I haven't flashed my new Kindle. Right. Um, but there are, if you wanted to work on getting, like, extracting yourself from the whole Amazon sphere of influence. Yeah. It's possible. It's just harder. So just to wrap up this whole discussion, take the time to find something with some audacity. If you're tired of the Hollywood Robin um, Red Robin burgers. <laughs> you know, I, we don't not love Hollywood. We've done plenty of Hollywood movies. I look forward to plenty of Hollywood movies. I don't like to be bought and sold like a commodity. I don't like someone to make a product that they think I'm going to like and then sell it to me like it's art. I don't want that. I, I want to see something that somebody made because they fucking loved it. And this is where we, this is the sphere where we have to go to find that now. And if you are listening to this because you're not sure if you want to listen, watch love or not watch love, go spend the time, watch it, sit down. I think it's like an hour and 50 minutes long. Yeah, it feels an hour and it may feel two hours and 50 minutes long, but it's a good two hours and 50 minutes. Gunner is amazing. He carries this movie brilliantly. I feel better for having watched this movie. It's one of those movies that really kind of it doesn't make you think in a way that feels forced um it doesn't make you think in the way that the barbie movie made you think where it was kind of spoon feeding you what it wanted you to think about which was fine i enjoyed the barbie movie but this is kind of like where do you find meaning in this movie maybe you should ponder that yeah and that's fine too so I guess we'll just leave it here since we talked about the movie a little and then pontificated a little and um just sort of discussing where we want to go for our next year because we're almost up to a year yeah uh november yeah it'll be a year in november and we've kind of you know what i i think of this podcast as like our sandbox podcast because we have so much fun just playing around and doing different stuff and if there's a direction that we've been going that you guys want us to keep going in um do feel free to tell us um, I'm usually on the Instagram. We're at Strange and Beautiful Network on Instagram. Or you can go on our website at strangeandbeautiful.club. I think I have contact information on there. If not, there's a suggestion form. You can drop it in there. That generates an email. Yeah, it's Rachel an email. Get. Yeah. And we, we've gotten contacted by a couple of TFA authors. <laughs> <laughs> who um, we will be discussing on the who podcast. Who we will be discussing on the podcast. They asked us to review their books, and we've been reading them, and they are amazing and we will be discussing them and then we will we also got contacted by it's blast furnace media and there's two movies that they sent us links for screeners so we're going to watch those and then they're going to come on the podcast and talk about them with us and i'm super excited because we've had other podcast hosts come and talk but we have never had like an industry person come and talk on the podcast yeah. so that's really cool plus they were like hey i'll be on your podcast and i'm like Sure. <laughs> sure. Let's Have do we that. turned down any requests yet? <laughs> um, 
Not that I recall, no. I mean, that doesn't, that makes us sound like indiscriminate love to all comers, but really we're just excited to be here. So when people are like, can we have a conversation? We're like, yeah, let's have a conversation. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you don't have to, okay, this is going to find it. This, I'm on a, uh, weren't we wrapping up? We were wrapping up. Or is this another ending? This, you know, sometimes we have multiple endgasms. So this is the, flawed policy of infinite growth that we just discussed in the geometry uh, for for ocelots. ocelots. The idea that the only real success is the maximum possible success. And the real success can't just be, I'm having a great time and I love my life and I want for nothing in particular. And that's success too. I just posted, we just went over a thousand on come in 81 kilo. We just... Got a thousand streams since we migrated platforms in July. We have quite a we have a few more on Strange and Beautiful Book Club, but uh, you know, a thousand streams in what three months is, you know, to some podcasts chump change. But to me, it's like, oh, people are listening to the podcast. Great, great, and if we can do more. If we can become a place where people come to learn about movies that they wouldn't otherwise hear about, I think I'd be happy with that too. You just have to figure out what sex, what, what sex, what success is to you and then um, die on that hill. And if success to you is just, I'm happy, that's okay. And if success to you is, I survived, that's a good success too. If success is just, I have my needs, like my basic needs met, and yeah. I get to be curious about things, yeah, then, then that's, that's go, success. Fucking go for it. And that will be the end. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.